Welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast, where our mission is to help everyone recognize and experience the presence of God. Hey everyone, welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast. My name is Kristen Russell, and today our podcast is a little bit different. We're actually recording this via Zoom because our uh, special guest today is away at college. So she's in Ohio, I'm in Michigan, and you're wherever you're at listening. So we want to thank you for joining us today. Um, we're talking about love in action, you know, that whole golden rule thing where Jesus says, love God, love one another. We're talking about that and putting it in action. And our special guest today is Hannah Baker. And Hannah is a longtime lifetime member of Blessed Sacrament. And uh, she went to school here. She went through youth ministry here. And now she is a junior at the College of Wooster in Ohio. And she is studying comparative politics and Spanish. It's a double major. And I'm sure you're going to change the world with those. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited because back in the spring, spring or right before summer um, kind of started, Hannah came to visit the office and it's always a special day when Hannah Baker comes into the office. Um, There's kind of a little like, I don't know, there's just joy when you come into the office, like between (laughs) me and Lynn Pike, like we're like, oh, Hannah Baker's here. We're like, yay. Um, So that speaks volumes to just how much of an impact you've had on us Um, But in that conversation, you talked a little bit about what you were doing this summer for your internship. And I was like, Hannah, that's so cool. When you're when you're done, I want you to come on our podcast. So without further ado, can you tell us a little bit about um, the organization that you worked with this summer and, you know, who they serve and what kind of work that they do? Definitely. Um, so the organization, it's a nonprofit. Um, it's a very grassroots organization, and they basically support immigrants with social justice, legal, political, economic, every variation um, of support um, in the area I'm in here, which is like north northeastern Ohio. Um, but what I personally do with my time there is I work as a legal aid intern um, so that side of the project, and we assist immigrants with the immigration processes. So the different um, options for immigrants, I do a lot of legal paperwork, um, and I interact with people who are attempting to seek asylum here in the United in the United States um, or other forms of immigration relief. That's awesome. Can you explain a little bit uh, what asylum is for immigrants coming into, you know, when immigrants are coming into the country, what does it mean when they're seeking asylum? Because I feel like we hear that all the time, but who really knows what it means? No, definitely. Um, so asylum is something that was created by the, Uni- the United Nations post-World War II. Um, and it was the idea that the situations in various countries are not sustainable um, for people to live there. So people would leave those countries and they would request asylum in any other country. And that means you have the right to come to the U.S. border and say, I would like to seek asylum. Technically, I'm fleeing persecution for some reason. And then you have the opportunity to explain your case and get protection from whatever country you have um, requested asylum from. So the United States does this because it's an agreement with the United Nations, um, but it's also a very common practice for lots of countries, mostly, um, especially with the Spanish. I am working with Central American people coming to the United States. 
Okay. So does this organization work with people other than Central America or is it primarily those coming uh, from the border, from our Southern border? Um, Most often it's the Southern border um, just because we can provide um, Spanish assistance. And also we have translators that there's 22 indigenous languages in Central America that are very um, underrepresented for people to translate in those languages. And because we have the capability to provide translators for those things. We work with a lot of Central American migrants. That is so cool. And I think sometimes as Americans, we take for granted the fact that everywhere we go, everyone speaks English. And even when we go overseas to other, you know, even with the ha- like France or Italy, a lot of people know English. And so I think that is so awesome to recognize the dignity of a person just by using their language. And especially, I think it's awesome that you said, you know, 22 indigenous languages that you do have representation in this organization. So people can feel comfortable at speaking their own language instead of, you know, trying to fumble through to figure out English and, and, and things like that. It just speaks volumes to the care and compassion, you know, to seeing these people as I mean, maybe not children of God, that's a very religious term that we use, but, you know, just seeing their human dignity and their inherent dignity by speaking their language. That's, I didn't know that. And I learned something about indigenous language and how awesome that this organization has translators for all of those. My next question for you is, A, how did you hear about this organization? And two, what made you want to work with them? So um, I got in touch with this organization based on my like academic advisor. I took a human rights class um, my sophomore year of college, and my professor is a lovely lady. Um, and we had a lot of really good conversations in office hours just about human rights. And she has worked with this organization. Um, and so she put me in contact and because she knows they have interns, and that's how I applied to work there. But just in general, once I heard about their mission and what they care about, I was very interested because I do... Um, I'm not fluent, but I do speak Spanish, right? And I do have like my like my college academic like learning is all in this area. So I thought here's an opportunity where like my abilities fit with like a need that already exists, right? So I could actually be of some help maybe. Um, and I also, before I started, um, our chaplain here at college also um, knows about this organization. And she told me, oh, your boss is a radically Catholic guy. <laughs> And I thought that was a funny way to describe someone, but also that meant the environment I was going to be in would be a very cool group of people um, who were dedicated to the same things I intend to devote myself to. That's so cool. So how would you um, define a radically Catholic guy? Um, I think the idea is that um, a very religious person, um, but who has no problem challenging that religion when it's not utilized in the way that God intended it. That's awesome. That's super cool. I think we should all be radically Catholic, quite honestly, because I I don't know, Catholicism to me just seems kind of radical. So like we should all be kind of radically Catholic. Jesus was radically Catholic. I think He definitely was. Um, he was a radical for sure. I love that about Jesus. And also, uh, we can say he too had to seek asylum at one point in his life. We're recording during Advent. We're coming up on Christmas. And uh, we've got the Christ- the way the calendar falls is, you know, we've got Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then that Sunday is the Feast of um, Holy Family. And that 
we hear about, you know, the Holy Family having to flee to Egypt because it was unsafe in Nazareth, in Bethlehem for them. So it all kind of, it all kind of fits together. So as you were going through, you know, your, your internship, you're working with this, um, this organization, can you kind of talk about um, what a day or week looked like for you or, you know, what kind of, without divulging confidential information, like, can you describe the plight or, you know, what life is like for the immigrants that you worked with? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I I walked in low man on the totem pole, right? Sometimes I shredded paper, sometimes I answered the door, right? Um, but I got to see a lot of the different social work they do, as well as all of these um, legal processes that exist in the United States. Um, and quite tragically, I learned that the immigration policy in the United States basically changes every every administration, which makes it very difficult to understand. Um, and that's someone, and that's from my perspective, someone who's not participating in it, you know, as a means to find safety, right? But just someone learning about it. So like that experience as someone who might not speak English, right? And these forms are only in English um, and pretty intense legal jargon that wouldn't make sense um, to a general person. And then again, let's add in a language barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did a lot of learning about the legal system and I know a lot about the forms and paperwork and that kind of stuff. And um, I oftentimes would just help people with those forms. So just stand there and translate um, and provide assistance um, that I that I gained as I spent more time there and I learned more things. I was able to do more things. So now I can understand different different legal systems. And um, I obviously am not a lawyer. I offer no legal um, (laughs) advice, but I'm oftentimes the first people clients will interact with. And I can explain, this is the information we need to get from you. This is the possible options um, that we can be in contact about. This is how you get a work permit. This is how you get a driver's license, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So did you work primarily with individuals or would you get to interact with families? What, I, I mean, what was that dynamic like? Yeah, so um, it really depends. We have clients um, from mostly Central America, right, but all different variations of families or fragments of families, um, or I work with a lot of children, which is an interesting dynamic as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think most of my clients this summer were teen boys, um, which, yeah, so it really depends, um, but we have clients of every age and every, every intersection thereof. And I think it's it's so easy, you know, when we you talk about immigration policies changing with every administration, I think sometimes it's super easy to talk about immigration like it doesn't affect people in a very real and concrete way. And I mean, you got to experience firsthand the way these policies do affect people's lives and, you know, their dreams and their hopes and everything, not trying to get political Um, But knowing that this is kind of a hot button issue, did you experience any pushback? Yeah, um, it was interesting. I was home in Midland for a little bit before I came to start this internship in the summer. Um, And uh, people would ask me, you know, what are you doing? Right. And I would say like, yeah, I'm super interested to work at this like legal aid nonprofit that works with immigrants. And it was interesting to see the people who were like, oh, my gosh, tell me more about that. And the people who were like, Okay, next question. Um, mm-hmm. And people who wanted to have a conversation about that and the people who didn't. Um, and the other thing I, I t- experienced was a fair amount of surprise. Mm-hmm. They're like, there's immigrants in Ohio. 
<laughs> that's not a border state. And I'm like, yes. correct. It is not. That's that's a correct point. It is not a border state. Um, and Ohio definitely has a different makeup of immigrants than Michigan does, mm-hmm. for sure. But a lot of surprise still from people in Ohio. They were like, there's immigrants here. What? Wow. Why? Yeah, I, I guess I never really thought about that. But I think it is it's so important that this kind this type of help, this type of legal aid is probably necessary. These kinds of or- organizations are necessary in all 50 states, um, you know, because there's always people who are fleeing something, you know, whether it's like you said, um, danger in their home country or, or something going something else going on, drug cartels. I mean, it's so important for us as Christians, at least, to hear their stories and to and to help them because that's what that's what Jesus wants from us is to you know welcome the stranger welcome the widow um welcome the sojourner i think it's just important to remember again that these are humans it's it's not an us versus them it's like we're all in this we're all in this together so what a great experience but overall i mean are you continuing to do this work are you continuing to work with this organization Yes. Um, So I'm actually currently um, an employee there um, for this semester of school, and I will also be working there um, in the spring. Um, And then I head off to Argentina, which is a different and also exciting um, adventure. But yes. Yes, that's so cool. Um, You know, just kind of looking at the big picture of what you did um, this summer and are continuing to do, there's, you described your boss as a radically Catholic guy. You've already mentioned that this organization is passionate about social justice. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to modify the pre-sent question. Um, I am really bad at I'm, I get I feel nice that like I give every guest a list of questions and then I feel a little bit bad. I'm like, oh, but I'm going to change some of them on, on the fly. <laughs> so I'm going to change this question that I already sent you, but it's still kind of the same. In light of this experience... Uh, what does social justice mean to you? And if it's changed at all, what was your, like, what was your definition of social justice before this experience versus now? Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. Um, So first off, I would say social justice is just the effort of like carving out some type of equality in a desperately unequal world, because that's what you're working from, right? Like a terribly unequal situation. And also the idea that like social justice is done as like an extreme form of love. It's love that like li- if lived out correctly requires you to challenge the pre-existing like systems of power that exist in society, right? Um, and I think the biggest thing for me that I learned about social justice through this experience is the fact that like social justice is not like a generous service that I am providing, right? It's the idea that like I am beholden to the community I participate in. And if we have the same zip code, our lives should not be drastically different. And our trajectories of life should not be drastically different. Because this is, in Ohio, where I live, this is my community. Mm-hmm. And I should care about that and, and what the people in my community are experiencing, right? And you can't, um, and the other thing I was going to say is you can't um, disconnect issues, right? So like immigration, immigration reform, that's very easily something I'm talking about, like in this job, but also women's rights, um, the rights of any marginalized group, like 
environment, the environment, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is also um, such a large, all the issues are connected, right? And you can't just, you can easily be connected to one issue and be passionate about that, but they're all going to come up because it is such an interconnected society. Uh, Just kind of take a minute to process because what you just said is so beautiful that we are all parts of the same community. And I love that you use the zip code, like just, you know, we share a zip code. We, we are community together and we should be fighting for, especially the least of these, because that's, again, we're going to go back to the words of Jesus. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. And I know in our conversation um, back in the spring, we talked a little bit about liberation theology and I, I love liberation theology and especially in light of everything that's been happening in our country, it's just a good reminder that just because we don't understand something, particularly we we don't understand the experiences, the experiences of an oppressed people doesn't invalidate their experience. And I think that's what liberation theology seeks to do is it's, it comes from the, the perspective of the oppressed and you know, some just some oppressed people that we have firm liberation theologies from. Um, we have feminists, we have African American, Black liberation theologies, um, Asian theologies. All of these people who have experienced some sort of oppression or some sort of marginalization, we can find the liberation theology kind of seeping into their theology at large because they're seeking to be integrated into the community. They want to be seen as equals. They want to see equity um, among peoples because not everyone is afforded the same opportunities. We don't all start out on the same playing field. And I, I definitely remember back when I was the youth minister, you know, talking about that. Like some people are just dealt a really good hand straight out of the womb and other people are dealt dealt a really bad hand straight out of the womb. And so we don't start out on an equal playing field, but that doesn't mean that one's better or one's worse. It just means that somewhere in the middle here, we have to work together to see each other as, as brothers and sisters, as, as family, or as you said, as community. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that always comes to mind for me on that topic of just like different lots in life is like when people are like the American dream, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm like, people don't have boots. So I don't think we're really looking at this in in a way that's that's um actually realistic or the mm-hmm. idea of like you didn't make good choices. You had good choices. Right. right. Um, so maybe that no, I, I completely agree. Um, and, you know, looking at liberation theology and, and social justice, faith is obviously important um, to you. It's important to me. It's important to this Blessed Sacrament Parish community. And how do you, well, let me go back. Where do you think faith and social justice intersect aside from liberation theology? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for me, the real question is like, where do faith and social justice not intersect? Like, let's look at the life of Jesus. He never once was like thoughts and prayers. Okay, that's all. Like everything he did had action accompanying his teaching. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just praying for the poor. He was giving them food. He wasn't just requesting an end to judgment. He was present with marginalized populations. And he, he didn't leave it just to prayer. And if Jesus didn't do that, like the son of God didn't just leave it at prayer, why do we think mm-hmm. we can? Um, and why is there not action involved in the ministry? 
um, that we're doing. I think that's so that. Are you sure you're not a biblical scholar? Because (laughs) I think that's so true that Jesus as the word incarnate, Jesus literally went from being, you know, as the gospel of John says, the word, God's word to action, to physical living, breathing action. And so if that's not a reminder of what we're all called to do, I'm not sure what is because Jesus didn't just leave it at words. God didn't just leave it at the word. The word became flesh and the word came to preach forgiveness, to preach God's love and not just preach it, but offer forgiveness, show God's love, show us how to love one another. There's a reason that the golden rule is not just like a Christian golden rule, but every major world religion talks about do unto others as you would want done unto you. If I was in a place of danger or in a place where I needed help, I would hope that um, someone would help me, you know, especially in a place where I might be a minority, I would pray that someone would help me. And, and so that's our opportunity, you know, to put that love into action. And and I think it's a great point to point out, like, where don't faith and social justice intersect? Because it's very few places, I think. And I think the other thing is that, like, it's very, very easy to have a lot of feelings about the things that are going on. And I I feel that, too. I mean, usually for me, it's rage, not sadness um, about the things going on. Um, but you have to do something with that feeling. Like you learn about something, you read a news article and you feel lots of things. But like you got to do something with that. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because um, so the day we're recording this is the day after the shooting in Michigan. And today I walked in to work even last night, like just rage agreed feeling rage sadness in like just inconceivable how this could happen um and i keep saying like this is basically you know we're in midland this is basically our backyard um oxford is and so looking at you know again the social media posts it's thoughts and prayers and i remember the one thing the first day of grad school my theology program director said here is my Uh, approach to theology. He said, you are given the gift of knowing God. And so that comes in through your mind, right? To know something is to think something. Thoughts. And then he said, and then what we have to do is we have to let what we know about God transform our hearts. And it's through the transformation of our hearts that we experience this conversion, this love for God. And that we continue to know God through our prayers and the way that our heart is transformed through this. He said, but it cannot stop there. He said, it has to come out through your hands and the actions that you do. Thoughts and prayers lead to action. And that has stuck with me. And it's not just like, don't just talk about, I don't just talk about this when tragedies and calamities strike. But this is something I think that all of us, it's so easy to forget that God wants us to love in action. God wants us to love in word and deed. And 
I, I always catch myself. Like if I feel like I'm going to start saying something that maybe isn't very loving, I do my best to catch myself, but let's be honest. Like we all have moral failings at points in our lives, but I think once you're cognizant of that, it's a lot easier to catch yourself and then hopefully in, you can lead by example, letting your actions speak louder than your words and letting, letting your faith kind of guide those actions. You know, what does it look like? What does radical Catholicism look like? Well, let's flip, like you said, flip open the Bible, look at how Jesus interacted with um, the poor, the marginalized, the people who the rest of society was like, whatever, you know, I think that that's a fantastic reminder that we have to act. So anyways, now that I will, I will get off my soapbox again, still, I too am still working through my emotions. Um, But looking at, you know, just how I know how active you were here at Blessed Sacrament before you went to college, um, lector, I'm assuming you were an altar server probably uh, sometime before yeah. I got here. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a rite of passage for all Catholic kids. Like you get to be an altar server. Yes. Um, but, you know, you were youth t- on the youth youth team. You were youth, why do I leader? You went on outreach trips. I know from personal experience how deep your faith is and how personal your relationship with God is. How do you think that your faith prepared you for this role um, with this organization? Um, I think the first thing is that faith is a pretty solid touchstone when you're dealing with something that is, I mean, like, there is a lot of emotions involved, right? And when I um, have situations at work that leave me feeling like the world's a terrible place and everyone is awful, right? You need some um, some place you could go, someone you could talk to, um, to like recharge your own heart and your own hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and like enables me to do my job better when I realize that it's not just me, right? I'm not carrying the world. That's not what's going on here. Um, there's someone <laughs> a lot more important in charge of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um and the idea that like, like the the positive like in the concept the like the positive consequences of my job like when everything goes right and people do um I, I get um more options in life right or they get um, asylum or things like that me recognizing that is now I've, now I've rambled um but like the idea that like when there are positive impacts of what I'm actually doing right looking at that and being like that's something I'm proud of. And that's something that was like very much a God thing. Mm. Um, and there's no way he wasn't involved in me being able to do my job well. And those people, um, the clients I'm working with, being able to have the opportunity um, to have this assistance. And like, there's no situation I'm in where God isn't involved. Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder that everything we do, God is carrying us, if not carrying us, well, at least walking through it with us. And that leads right into my next question. You know, we talk about God sightings, obnoxious amounts in youth ministry, which is awesome because you can never talk about God, where God is sighted in your life too much. Can you tell us about any God sightings that you had over the summer or continuing into, you know, now with this work? I think, I mean, I, um, 
the organization I work with is a fair distance away, so I have to drive there. Um, and every night beforehand, I kind of think, wow, that's kind of far. I'm not actually that interested, right? And then I get there and I do my job and I'm like, wow, that was a wonderful experience. And you're glad you participated in this and you feel better, right? So I think every time I have an interaction um, with a client where like I answer the door, right? And by looking at me, no one would think I speak Spanish. Um, I'm a white girl. And, <laughs> but I go there and I answer the door in Spanish and they're like the relief on people's faces when they're like, oh, you, you can help me. Like, you know what I'm trying to talk about. Or oftentimes I get brought um, or like the office gets brought letters, right? Because the U.S. Mm. immigration system does everything in English. So I just sit there and tell them what it means, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not that hard for me, but it means so much to them. So thinking about like that as a God sighting of like, hey, do you remember in seventh grade when you hated taking Spanish? Look at this. There's some there's some good from that. Absolutely. One of the things we've talked about a lot on this podcast this year is how not necessarily like thinking about the plan that God has for you, like the path that God wants you to walk. Um, but more so, we've been talking a lot, uh, either directly or indirectly, about becoming the person God wants you to be. So I love what you just said in seventh grade, hating Spanish, who would have thought like you definitely didn't think in seventh grade Spanish that part of who, you know, who God wants you to be now would be a Spanish speaking individual to help just alleviate some of the stress and and bring comfort to, to bring comfort to an afflicted, to an oppressed people, to a, to a lost people, kind of essentially homeless people. So I just think like, that is the greatest, that's an, that's an awesome God sighting to be able to see the, just the relief and knowing that God has called you to this. Like that's the, one of the greatest God sightings I think any of us can ever have knowing that I'm where and who God needs me to be today, at least. So looking forward, you know, you talked a little bit, you're going to continue the semester, maybe when you get back from Argentina, but looking forward, like to the future, talking about who God wants you to be. What's next? Like what, where, where do you go from this experience? Um, or at least, you know, long-term goals, what do you hope to take with you from this experience? Um, gosh, uh, this is a rough question. What am I doing with my life? Kristen, come on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. On a good day, I think um, it would be really, it looks following the same, like, um, plotline we got going on here. I would be interested in being an immigration attorney, right, and serving in some organization that's similar to this, maybe somewhere warmer if we could get there. Um, and but doing the same type of work, but with mm-hmm. actual, you know, like legal abilities, so mm-hmm. more helpful, right? But I think in general, like at the most basic level, like recognizing that even though it's rough in society to like recognize that everything is political but to very much understand that and then like make sure my care and like the things that like motivated me to be interested in this job also carry over to when I don't have this job. Mm -hmm. Right. Like recognizing that the struggles that this group of people is experiencing. Right. And that like marginalized groups experience is very much impacted by politics. Um, So like caring about who we elect and understanding what policies do that was something I had to do this summer was there's two policies that impacted work visas um, in Ohio. I don't previous to this experience. Why would I understand agricultural work visas? Right. Mm-hmm. But then I see people and I'm like, oh, this is what this means for your life and your family and you're a real person. 
and I can have some effect on that because I get to vote. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's rough. Right. It's rough to say, like, politics is in charge of everything, especially because that's such a contentious um, topic. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, like recognizing that interaction and then deciding to put effort into understanding politics because it's people. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're not disconnected. Absolutely. I, the Catholic Church talks a lot about the common good in, you know, when enacting laws, I, I always say like, you can't legislate change of hearts and minds like that. That's God's, it's God's thing. Um, but what we can legislate is, can we ed- enhance and advance the common good? And so I think that's important. I know when I first, you're way beyond uh, me when I was your age. I know when I first started voting, I was like, well, to Scantron, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Like, yeah, that was my voting policy, you know, going into the voting booth. I was like, I don't know anything. But the older I get, the more I realize, like, what a gift we have to be able to play a role in in the election of our officials. And and so as much as sometimes I think we all like to complain about our elected officials, um, <laughs> I, I think, and it doesn't matter what, what your political beliefs are, we, we like to complain. I, I, I've been realizing too, as, as I get older and as I continue to think and reflect on, you know, prayer and what that means and praying for one another, I don't envy our elected officials. That's a tough place to be. It truly is. And so one thing that I've also brought to my prayer life is to pray for our officials and not that, you know, pray for their safety and and just pray for, pray that they too in their, with their capabilities enhance and advance the common good. Because I think that it is so important. And I think that now more than ever, I, I think we all just need to be a little bit more informed about, you know, things going on in our country, in our world, but not only that, in our neighborhoods, in our city, like just get in our families, like just, you can break it down super small and we just, we need to connect better just with one another. And it sounds like, you know, in our conversation, that is, I think, one of the greatest gifts that you were able to give to the clients that you worked with, just being able to connect with them with something as simple as, an Ola, you know, speaking their language. It, it, it's a, it's something so basic, something I think a lot of us take for granted, myself included, but it, it it's that connection on a very human, basic, common good level. Looking at, you know, thinking back over your summer, thinking back over this conversation, because we've kind of uh, ping-ponged a few places, it's fine. Um is there anything that you, know, you want to share that you feel like you haven't been able to share yet uh, in the course of our conversation? Um, I mean, two things come to mind. Um, one of them is just the fact that, like, obviously, I am not a representative of this organization, right? I'm an intern. And also, I'm not an expert on any of the things we talked about. I just, I care, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is that in this, like, situation, I am very much, like, not a hero, right? I'm someone with wonderful support and wonderful opportunities who gets to go to college somewhere she loves and gets to study something she's interested in. And in my very privileged life, um, I've decided that I have the time to spend with this organization, right? But a lot of pieces had to come together for that to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not 
just carrying the world here by myself. Um, it's definitely a lot of people. It's my mom every time I get out of work and I drive back back to Worcester um, and debrief my day. It's um, Kristen and it's Blessed Sacrament and like my faith foundations and like the schools I went to and the people who helped me become who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to then be able to be of help in some scenario. Absolutely. It's again, we're all connected. People need people. We we need each other. And um, I was like having some sort of takeaway from this conversation. If you, if you could have everyone listening, take away one or two things, you know, to move forward in their life or to walk away from this conversation. um, What, what would you, what's your call to action, Hannah? I guess. um, So, you know, when they end mass and the priest gets to say their little like ending thing. Well, when father Pete, who was the, like the priest my entire childhood his thing was always like go out glorifying the lord by your life right Mm -hmm. and like that idea requires action if you're going to glorify the lord by your life you need to be doing things with his people for his people right and so like with that understanding just like increased like patience and generosity and gentleness for everyone you interact with um because we don't always know what people are going through right we don't know what challenges they have um and there's no such thing as like a neutral interaction right you're either doing something positive or you're doing something negative trend towards the positive would be mine excellent well hannah thank you so much for um you know taking the time out of your very busy schedule to sit down and and zoom with me um and thank you so much for yeah, just sharing your experience and, and calling to our attention some of the things that maybe people don't think about a lot, um, and, and especially because we hear about it, but to actually hear someone who knows a little bit more and has interacted with, with folks uh, who are going through it, I think that means a lot to us. So thank you so much for joining us. And to everyone who's listening, you know, I can't speak highly enough about Hannah. Uh, she's one of those go-to people, like... You're like, oh, hey, Hannah, I'm doing a podcast. Want to come on it? Like, and she's like, sure, why not? Um, so, you know, thank you, Hannah, for sharing your story and and sharing a little bit of just a snippet of your faith journey um, over the summer. And coming up on the podcast, we're actually going to talk a little bit about retreats and contemplative prayer. And th- God has is doing such awesome things with this podcast. I can't even believe it. I had a schedule set out in the fall and now I'm here halfway through and I'm like, God, what are you doing? But I'm here for the ride. And to everyone listening, I want to thank you for being here for the ride on this podcast. And I think there is only one way to end it. And that is go forth glorifying the Lord with your life.